This is Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for Changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. Maine does it. Alaska does it too. And since 2021, Virginia can do it. In city and county elections anyway. What am I talking about? It's ranked choice voting, which is sometimes called instant runoff voting. The way it works is like this. Let's say there are several candidates running for a particular seat. In the kind of voting we're used to, whichever candidate gets the most votes is the winner, period. But in a ranked choice system, voters rank all the candidates in the order they like. Your first choice is still your first choice, but you also get to mark your second choice, and third choice, and so on. If no candidate wins more than 50% of the first choice votes, it triggers an instant runoff. The last place candidate is eliminated, and their votes are transferred to the voter's second preference and so on down the line until one candidate wins more than 50% of the votes. Proponents of ranked choice voting see it as a way to diversify candidate fields, even reduce polarization. It means that the ultimate winner will have a broader base of support, at least more than 50%, and it also gives third-party candidates a bit more of a fighting chance. For the past few years, ranked choice voting has been used in Republican Party caucuses in Virginia. But this June, Arlington County will be the first actual governmental election in Virginia to try it out in their primary election for county board. Today on Bold Dominion, we're wrapping our heads around what ranked choice voting means and how it works. What are its advantages, and what might Arlington's upcoming example teach us? Later in the show, we talk with President of Fair Vote Virginia, Elizabeth Melson. She explains how the Republican Party has used ranked choice voting and what Arlington is doing to prepare for the switch. But first, we're joined by Sally Hudson, who represents the Charlottesville area in the House of Delegates. She's been a proponent of ranked choice voting for years, and she breaks down the mechanics of how it works, its benefits, and its challenges. Ten years ago, to a lot of people, ranked choice was this abstract wizardry. At this time, we've seen it at the state level in Maine and Alaska. We've seen it in major metropolitan areas like the Twin Cities and the Bay Area in New York City. We've seen it in small towns and big ones and at every level of government. I think that this is something super practical that we can implement in a lot of different places. And now we just have to do the hard work of spreading adoption. Tell me about your 2020 bill on ranked choice voting. Like, what was it and how did it do in the General Assembly and what brought the issue to your attention? That bill gives Virginia cities and counties the right to use ranked choice voting in their local elections. So now that it's law, cities and counties can use ranked choice voting to elect city councils and county boards. Ranked choice voting has been a priority of mine since before I ran for office. I was organizing for it at the grassroots level long before I was thinking about running. And I ended up running for office because I didn't see enough legislators who were willing to take big swings at big problems and do the kind of deep election reform work that I think we need to make politics work better for everyone for the long haul. And so it's been a passion project of mine for a pretty long time. I wanted to start off with maybe an overview of how ranked choice voting works for those who don't know the process. So if you could walk me through that voting process, like what the ballot looks like and how is the winner chosen under this system? So I think we all understand the problem that ranked choice voting is trying to solve. I bet we've all had the experience in the last few years of walking into the polling place and feeling torn between voting for who we really like and who we think can win. 
And ranked choice voting solves that problem. It lets voters vote for who they really like best, no matter how many candidates run. Because we have a pretty good problem on our hands in democracy these days. In both parties and up and down the ballot, we're seeing lots of candidates sign up to run. And that's a good thing for democracy. Democracy thrives when voters have real choices between a wide range of voices. The problem is that right now, our ballots just aren't built to let voters vote for who they really like when a lot of people run. And ranked choice voting solves that problem. It lets you rank the candidates in the order that you like them. So your first choice, your second choice, your third choice. And then when we count up all the ballots, we just count the first choices first, and the second and third choices only come into play if nobody gets a majority on the first ballot. In that sense, ranked choice voting is a lot like the runoffs that we see in conventions or in southern states that have two-stage runoff elections. So if nobody wins the majority on the first ballot, you come back and vote again. We just now have computers that can do that all at once, and we ask all the voters for all their preferences up front so that we can run the runoff election automatically in case we need it. For that reason, ranked choice voting sometimes goes by another name, which is instant runoff voting. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. So I was, and you touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to go through a bunch of the various benefits that proponents of ranked choice voting point to when talking about this issue. To start off, like, can you dive a little bit further into how RCV eliminates like the spoiler effect? For sure. So we we all know what it's like to have to choose between voting for who we really like and voting who, who we think can win. And that's because right now, all you have to do is get the most votes. And that means that sometimes candidates who speak to ideas that are really popular, but maybe not yet the most popular, get sidelined with this spoiler effect. In a ranked choice election, you can vote for your favorite candidate whether or not you think they can win. Because if it turns out that your favorite is not the most popular among your peers, then you can express your preference between those in the final round with your second or your third choice. I think that means that vote, that ranked choice voting lets voters be more honest at the ballot box. You don't have to think about who other people like in order to share who you like. And in that sense, ranked choice voting makes voting less like gambling. Proponents also point to the fact that RCV diversifies candidate fields. Can you dive a little bit further into how it does that? Sure. So when you've got that spoiler effect, sometimes candidates face pressure not to get into a race or to get out of a race because people are worried that they might split the vote. I mean, we've seen that in really high stakes presidential elections where you've had independent or third party candidates be a wedge between Democrats and Republicans and sometimes tip the scale in a state where we have this winner take all electoral college system. Because ranked choice voting gets rid of the spoiler effect, it also gets rid of the pressure for voices to get out of the mix. And if you're like me, and you think that democracy is better with more voices in the mix, then that means that ranked choice voting can help support more diverse candidates. There's also a good feedback loop between who runs and who votes. Because if you've got voters who feel like nobody is running, who really speaks to their values, then when you diversify the candidate pool, you also get a wider range of voters in the mix because you've got people on the ballot who are speaking to the wide range of views that voters really have. And when more voters get engaged, 
then you often see more candidates get engaged. You see more candidates talking about the issues that sometimes get sidelined. And so I think it's a really virtuous cycle. Yeah. And so another another aspect of this is that RCV is also often pointed to as a way to prevent extreme fringe figures in politics and also kind of tied into this, like it discouraging negativity among candidates in the campaigns and running. Could you dive a little bit further into how it does that? Sure. In a ranked choice election, you have to build a coalition of majority support. You don't have a winner until somebody gets more than half the votes in the final round. And so if your plan is just to divide and conquer and try to rally an extreme minority of voters to help you win the election, that just won't work in a ranked choice ballot. If you're not speaking to a broad coalition of more than half the electorate, then you just can't win. And so right now, I think we've got a politics that encourages division because all you have to do is get the most votes even if you're not getting a majority of votes. And I think that's really important because I think a lot of us have an instinct that our democracy is driven by a majority rules principle, but that's not true at all. If you think back to the 2016 elections when Donald Trump was first picking up steam, he was winning those early stage Republican primaries with 25, 30, 35% of the vote. And that's because there were a dozen candidates running all of whom were more moderate and had broader appeal than he did. But there was no way for voters to put never Trump on a ballot. And so all of those more moderate Republican voters wound up divided among the more moderate candidates. There was no way for them to express their common values against the more extremist candidate. Like me and a lot of other people, that's when the urgency of ranked choice voting really clicked. Like I'm someone who had heard about ranked choice, thought it was a good idea, but really got into trying to make it happen in a post-Trump world when it was so painfully obvious that Donald Trump got elected because of our current divisive election structure. Mm, No, yeah, that's very interesting. I feel like that kind of leads into a few of the questions that I had, though, regarding the criticisms of ranked choice voting. For instance, I had been looking through like the feedback summary for Arlington switch to RCV. So it was like essentially the comments from the public on whether they agree or disagree on that switch. And a big thing among those who disagreed was RCV appeared to kind of violate the one person, one vote idea. Um, And I was curious, could you respond to those fears that RCV gives third party voters like a second vote, since that seemed to be a common complaint? or issue people had with that? Everybody gets one vote in each round. I've never heard the same people say that people who vote in both primaries and general elections get more than one vote. It's the same idea. We have multi-round elections right now where we winnow people until we find somebody who has broader support. I just think this is the best way to do it. Mm, Yeah. Another thing I feel like there's an issue with RCV is that kind of the assumption that voters, like if there's multiple candidates running, the assumption that voters will have a lot of time to get to know, to study all of the candidates and their issues in order to have like a, a well-formed idea, like how they would rank them. Is that kind of like too rosy a picture of how much free time constituents have to get to know like every single person that's running? 
So a ranked choice election never requires that you rank every candidate. The vast majority of people in ranked choice races all across the country choose to rank at least two or three or more, but you can stop ranking whenever you want. In some sense, not ranking some candidates is kind of like staying home in our current election structure. You're saying, okay, well, if these are the only folks who are really going to be in the final rounds, then I don't care about them. But you can still vote for as many of the options as you like. And so you can have a voice for as many of the candidates as you feel like you have time to care about. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. And one other thing that I felt like I saw from people who disagreed with RCCV in the feedback summary was the problem with the idea of like the exhausted ballot. Could you explain what an exhausted ballot is in RCV and how to respond to people's worries about it? I feel like a lot of people were seem to have a worry about like, if you don't rank all of the candidates and then, I mean, you kind of covered this already, but yeah, then- if, if your theory is that exhausted ballots are undemocratic, then you must also believe in mandatory voting. Because right now we have the equivalent of an exhausted ballot, which is you can stay home and not have your vote heard in the final round. An exhausted ballot is a ballot that somebody has decided, I don't wanna rank any of the final options and that's their call. It's never to your advantage to fill out an exhausted ballot, but if you really want to say, look, if those are the only two options, I don't care, it's just like staying home in a current election. There's a lot of people who will argue that ranked choice is too complicated for the electorate, and the only problem with that theory is evidence. We, at this point, have had ranked choice elections at every level of government in states all across the country, whether it's your local city council or even the president. And we found consistently in exit polls from those elections that voters get ranked choice, they like it, and they want to do it again. And at this point, I think that evidence is so consistent that it's time for us to dispatch the argument that voters can't understand this. We're used to ranking things all the time in non-political settings, and I think it's just time for us to get used to doing it in politics as well. And that's why I think with voter education, sometimes it helps to get people to warm up to the idea by using ranked choice in a setting that's got nothing to do with politics. So I really love that in the communities that have adopted ranked choice, often restaurants will get involved in helping people get used to it. And so you'll see ice cream parlors or bakeries or hot dog stands let people rank their favorite flavors or their favorite condiments. And then they realize, oh yeah, it's okay to say that my favorite pie is peach pie, but if you don't have it this day, then yeah, my backup is apple. I get that. Of course, in June, Arlington will be the first county in Virginia to use um, ranked choice voting in their county uh, primaries. In your opinion, where do you see RCV going in Virginia? What is the likelihood do you think that it'll expand into bigger elections? Well, if I have anything to do with it, I think the odds are pretty high. I, I think that Arlington is doing a great service to the Commonwealth by being the first mover. I think we've got a lot of interest in other communities like Charlottesville and Albemarle, where I serve. And I think they're waiting to see how things go in Albemarle before we make those investments here. I'm all aboard, but I think we've got some local election administrators who would like to have some good examples to lean on. And I think from there, once we've got those successful Virginia-based pilots, then the next logical step in Virginia is to expand further up the ballot. And I think that we've got good support for that on both sides of the aisle because we've seen 
Democrats and Republicans use ranked choice in their own party-run nominating contest before. Republicans used it all the way up to the gubernatorial level when they nominated Governor Yunkin, and we've seen Republicans use it at the congressional level, too, in the 10th and 11th congressional districts. That's the beauty of ranked choice is it's a sincerely bipartisan issue. I think people in both parties understand that we've now got a lot of candidates running, and when that happens, you need a practical way to identify the nominee that appeals to the widest range of voters. And that's exactly what Ranked Choice is meant to do. Sally Hudson represents Charlottesville and part of Albemarle County in the House of Delegates. Stay with us for a short break. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for Changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. And I want to tell you, we're looking for good ideas to cover in future episodes. If you've ever had a question about state politics something that didn't make sense and you just want somebody to explain it to you. Well, let us know. We like to explain. We can help. You can shoot us an email at bolddominion at virginia.edu. Anyway, you can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are served up. Go ahead and subscribe. Hey, leave us a nice review while you're there. Bold Dominion is a member of Virginia Audio Collective, online at virginiaaudio.org. Well, for people who are paying attention to ranked choice voting in Virginia, all eyes are on Arlington County. They're the first locality using this method, and it's for their county board primaries in June. To understand the nuts and bolts of the switch, we speak with Elizabeth Melson. She's the president of Fair Vote Virginia, and she starts off explaining where ranked choice voting stands in Virginia. So right now it's just for county boards and city councils. The last few years, we've asked for legislation that would expand it maybe to school boards and town councils and kind of clarify that, you know, it could be more local governing bodies other than just those two. But right now, you know, it was intended to be a very um, narrow pilot, and that's how it's operating. First, I wanted to cover a little bit of how, like, the Republican Party has used ranked choice voting in the past couple of years since Ranked choice voting rules are a little different for elections run by political parties. They have a little bit more leeway than governmentally run elections. So Yeah, so that was really exciting. I think the first use of it was in, I believe it was 2020. During the pandemic, the Republican Party of Virginia used it internally in a convention that elected their state chair, Rich Anderson by ranked choice voting. And the ballot they used was very interesting because it had, it was a mixed ballot. So the very top question was a ranked choice voting election for chair. And then there were a couple pick one and then a pick two and then yes or no ballot questions. So it was a great example of how it is possible to run more than one type of election on one ballot and give clear and simple instructions. And the party members were able to follow those instructions and they successfully ran a ranked choice voting and other types of elections in one county run convention. And then in following years, 2021, it was used to nominate governor, lieutenant governor and attorney general. So our current executive office was nominated and, um, an unassembled, I guess they were firehouse conventions. Um, yeah, that's really interesting to me because that 2021 Republican convention 
the winners, you know, Glenn Youngkin won some series, Jason Meares, they went on to win governorship, lieutenant governor and attorney general. And they were the first Republicans to win these off these offices since 2009. So I was curious, like, I, I guess I had a couple questions regarding that. Like, first, how did ranked choice voting change how the 2021 Republican convention was run? And like, in your opinion, how much do you think that RCV played a role in those later Republican successes? I think it definitely played a role because it was a wide field of candidates that were all across the conservative spectrum. If they hadn't used instant runoff or ranked choice voting, you know, you could have gotten a candidate winning with like 27 or 33% of the vote and having, you know, 66% of the party voting in that convention, feeling like the candidate that won didn't really represent them. You know, maybe it would have been a more divisive character. But in this case, I'm pretty sure that Youngkin was leading from the beginning and he just continued to pick up, you know, more support throughout. So everybody that voted and chose multiple options, their voice was heard, even if their first choice didn't win, at least one of their choices likely won. And I think that's really important because it changes the way the candidates operate It changes the incentive structure. They'll need to reach out to more than just their most fervent supporters. They'll they'll need to reach out to others and ask for input and and who cares about what issues and consider more possible solutions for, you know, what Virginians are facing. So I, I think it really did change. It made a big difference. And they probably got to some candidates that were able to pick up some independent voters. And that's how they won the general. Mm, yeah, no, I, that is very fascinating. I find that so interesting. But of course, that is a party level election. In June, Arlington County then will be like the first county board lo- like locality in Virginia using RCV. Yeah, Arlington will be the first county board to run an election by ranked choice voting this June for their Board of Supervisor uh, primary. The Democratic Party, as of right now, I believe, has six candidates. There are two open seats, and so this will be a multi-seat ranked choice voting election. I haven't looked to see what that ballot looks like or contacted the registrar there in the most recent week or so. So I believe that Arlington's election equipment allows for three rankings. So I imagine that the ballot will look something like rank up to three choices and out of the six. Okay, yeah, that was that's interesting because that was another question I had was like, in terms of election software or voting machines, what did Arlington have to do or change to prepare for this switch to ranked voting? There may have been some updates to their software that they would have had to um, enable with the vendor. But the way it works is Virginians have a paper ballot and they'll rank their candidates. If they want to rank all three, they'll rank all three. That paper ballot goes into the scanning equipment. And then that scanning equipment spits out what is called a cast vote record. And that cast vote record goes through RCTAB, which is the add-on software that 
runs the instant runoff part of it, the round by round tabulation, and that gives us the final result. Mm. And then another another question I had was like a big component of switching to RCV involves unrolling public information campaigns to educate people. Um, I'm curious, like, how is that public information campaign unfolded in Arlington? And what does the public response look like? Yeah, so I feel like they've really been educating for a while now, because they did have their work sessions, they had an additional work session after that, they had the meeting where they endorsed ranked choice voting. And then they had the former the the formal comment period and then you know they voted on the ordinance prior to that they had a meeting or uh, an event where they asked voters to rank their favorite farmers market in arlington county to help them get familiar with ranked choice voting and i think there was a survey too so they they've done a lot already leading up to this ordinance that was voted on and, you know, organization like ours, League of Women Voters, Upvotes, other reform groups that are working towards this have held information sessions and rallies in Arlington for years, really. So I, I believe that the voters in Arlington have heard of it. And there are, by law, things that Arlington County must do. The Virginia Admin Code spells that out. So the registrars will have to review Virginia code 20-100-80, the part that talks about outreach and addresses specific efforts. So they have to start educating at least 60 days prior to the primary, but I'm sure that they've already started that. And ideally, I think a registrar would want to start doing that at least 90 days before. So there's a window that the law says, you know, you have to be doing these measures. And, and it, it talks about specific things like websites and mailers and different languages that you need to translate the material into. So mm-hmm. there's things that by law, the county has to do or the locality that's implementing ranked choice voting. And then there's this, you know, the grassroots and reform groups that are working together to, to educate. One thing that's also interesting is in June, when Arlington voters are voting for the county board primaries, the concurrent Democratic primaries for sheriff, Commonwealth's attorney, General Assembly, those will take place under the existing winner take all of rules. Right. So right. I was curious, could you expand a little bit further on like kind of the hurdles faced in a more patchwork application of RCV? I mean, it comes down to the ballot design and simple instructions. Like I said the, earlier, the Republican Party of Virginia was able to con- design a ballot that had mixed offices on it. And it was very clear instructions. I mean, we all know how to rank things. Kids start doing it. I have a nine-year-old daughter. I mean, she's probably been ranking things since she was four. You know, my favorite candy is this. My favorite flavor of ice cream is that. You know, I'd watch these shows in this order if I had the option. You know, we'll just be driving driving down the road and she'll say, what's your favorite color? Well, what's your second favorite color? What's your third favorite color? And that's not prompted by me. (laughs) It's just what they do. So I think the ballot design is important, simple instructions, large enough text. And I'm sure that the Arlington Election Department and Registrar are consulting somebody on how to do that in a way that, you know, voters will easily grasp. 
So if all goes smoothly in these primaries in June, what is next for ranked choice voting in Arlington? Are there plans to expand it further? I watched the work sessions and the um, discussions when they were voting on the ordinance. And I know that there's a grassroots appetite to have it in the general election. But I, I do remember them discussing that if it goes well in June, that they would be willing to look at it for the general election. And, you know, it's only um, triggered if there's three or more candidates. So if there's a Republican candidate and an independent and a Democratic candidate, then that's when there would be a ranked choice voting election. But they they would have to either start looking at it in April or May, I believe, for the timing and decide almost in conjunction with that primary that they want to do it for the general election. So they could decide in April or May and then if it went badly for some reason, they could just say, never mind, we don't want to do it for the general. But I, I know my organization has encouraged them to consider it for the general election and um, others are well as well. And, and it was formally discussed in their meetings. So I, I would hope that they would run it for the general election. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I suppose kind of wrapping up, like, what do you expect for the future what do, for you like what what do you hope to see like what's the likelihood that rcv will spread to other localities across virginia what's what do you hope the timeline will look like here <laughs> well all eyes are on arlington you know we have active voter driven campaigns in probably at least six localities and so they're all watching arlington no pressure arlington and, and gretchen up there they're waiting to see how well it goes and the state election department is working closely with them. They're publishing more guidance for localities that want to do this. And they've gone into contract with Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center to be able to use the RC tab tabulator. So all the pieces are falling into place to allow for more localities that are looking at this to adopt and implement. Elizabeth Nelson is the president of Fair Vote Virginia. Many thanks to her and also Sally Hudson for speaking with us today. My name is Nathan Moore, and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Our producer and editor this week was Alana Bittner. You can find us online at bolddominion.org. And don't forget to subscribe. It's just a click away.